7 o'clock. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me in the New Testament for our Christmas message to John's Gospel and the 17th chapter. John's chapter 17, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It's not a familiar, perhaps, Christmas verses that we are used to on Christmas. But I think woven within the prayer of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what you're turning to. As Jesus and His hour had come, as Jesus was about to depart and finish all the work that the Father had gave, gave Him to do, He is spending these last moments in prayer unto the Father. I am so thankful that John's Gospel records for us this incredible prayer, this incredible intercession from the lips of Jesus Christ Himself unto the Father. Within this prayer, and within the heart of Jesus, He prays for you and me. Amen? He's praying for you and me. He's praying for every gift that the Father has given unto Him. He is praying for everyone who puts their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And what a tremendous prayer and message this is. And certainly, I pray it will be a blessing to us in this Christmas sermon. Stand with me, if you will, as we reverence the Word of God together. Everyone standing in the house of the Lord as we read the Holy Scriptures. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Jesus, as I've repeatedly said, always knew what time it was. He knew that the hour had come. And He knew that His time here on this earth was very short. And that He had finished and completed everything He came to do in obedience unto the Father's will. And so he prays and says, Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give, listen, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That he and he alone may give eternal life. Give the Lord some praise. Amen. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. To be able to know, listen, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. A glory that he was willing to step out of. A glory that he was willing to give up. That he might come and be Savior of this world. Amen. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. Now testifying to his followers and to his disciples, he says, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Do you believe that this Lord's day? That the Father so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son. Do you believe that this Christmas day? Not yesterday. Not ten years ago. Listen, I talk to folks all the time. Folks say, well, I was saved when I was 14 years old. Good for you. What do you believe now? What do you believe now? Has it changed? Is it different? Jesus said, listen, that they have believed that thou didst send me. Now he changes and says, I pray for them. I pray for them. I pray for them. You can write your name in that word them. I pray, I take this moment to pray for them personally. And Jesus says, there's a reason why I pray for them. He says, listen, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, I, the Savior of the world, I, the light of the world, am glorified in them. More on that in a minute. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Why am I praying for them? I'm fixing to leave this world. They're in the world. They're still in the world. We're still in the world today. And Jesus says, I pray for them because they are in the world. And I am come to thee, Holy Father. This is what I pray. Keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. I don't know that any preacher or any church has given the time 
that that one statement is worth. Jesus says, I pray for them, Father. I pray for them that they may be one as we are. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. As we look into the word of God this Lord's day, church, it's hard to believe that Christmas is here. The good Lord willing, this will be our last Sunday together. Before we as a family and we as individual families celebrate Christmas. Notice I said, good Lord willing. Because it's always good Lord willing. Amen. And good Lord willing, this week uh, we will celebrate Christmas with our families and with our loved ones in however way that you as a family have decided to celebrate Christmas. I've talked to families, I've talked to some, and you know, changes had to be made and things had to be done differently this year. And some families are simply not celebrating Christmas as normal. I know our family with mom, we're not celebrating Christmas as normal as a family, but we're still celebrating Christmas. Because the message of Christmas never changes. Amen. Unto us, a child is given. Unto us, a Savior is born. Amen. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that message never changes. But some of us this year are not able to do what we call in the South, get together. We call it get togethers. Amen. We call each other up and say, hey, we're having a get together. Hope y'all can come. That's the way we do it in the South. Amen. And maybe this year, some families are not able to do the get-togethers as they normally do. I enjoy get-togethers. I enjoy family time. I enjoy unity and togetherness. And certainly in Christmas, that's a time that we celebrate and that we unite with one another. I want to take a moment and I want to expand this for Christmas. This is a different Christmas message, but still a Christmas message. And I, I want to borrow your mind for just a moment. I'll give it back, I promise. But I want to put us in a, a mindset that, that maybe we haven't been in before, or maybe haven't been in in a long time, but I, I want us to do a little bit of thinking about this, this thing called unity, this thing called togetherness, this thing called fellowship. I want to remind us that on our own, we are very limited individuals. We are, because we are humans, we are restricted in what we can do and what we can accomplish and what we can change or control because we are of the natural. We are humans and we're limited to the resources of, of, of humanity, if you will. 
I, I don't want to be discouraging because a lot of people have done very well on their own. Great minds have done great things throughout our history and continue to do so today. I don't want to sound like we can't do anything. I, I don't want to sound like we're just useless blobs of flesh, amen, by any means. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of that rich farmer. Remember him that Jesus himself told us about. He was very successful on his own. He had done well. He had planned well. I believe that he had worked hard to accomplish all that he had accomplished as a, far, as a farmer. And remember, Jesus said that he had much goods laid up for many years. Amen. Uh, he had an abundance. He had done not well, but he had done very well as a farmer. In fact, he had succeeded uh, most farmers uh, of his own day. So he had done very well. I don't want to sound like that we can't do anything as humans because that's certainly not so. And the Bible doesn't teach that. But we are limited. The mindset that I am after, the attitude that I am after today, is the attitude that says, I don't need anybody. Now, I know I ain't preaching to nobody here. There ain't nobody in New Hope Baptist Church that would ever think that I'm good. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody's influence. I don't need anybody else's opinion. I don't need anybody else's advice. I am good on my own. Amen? We call it the one-man band syndrome. I got my own drum. I don't need nobody else's drum. They just mess things up anyway. Amen. I, I, I've been doing it on my own for all of these years. And preacher, I'm good. Amen. I don't need the help. I don't need the resource. I, I don't need anything from anybody else. You know that people like that. Amen. Nobody here, but we know folk like that, right? We relate, amen. We've seen that in action before, amen. Uh, and I want to discourage that for just a moment because anybody that thinks with such a mindset that I am good all by myself, that I am good all alone, my friend, you just walked off as far as you can walk from the Word of God. Amen. You just walked away from one of the most vital teachings of all the Holy Scriptures. Amen? When we begin to think that we don't need anything or anybody, and we begin to add to that that I don't even need God, I don't need God's Word. I, I don't need the message of the Scriptures. I, I don't need the direction of the Word of God. I, I don't need, even need God in my life. Uh, my friends, uh, you couldn't have walked further away from truth uh, than you just walked. The truth is, we need one another. Amen. Whether we realize it or not, whether we even like it or not, 
We were built, created, made for the fellowship and the need of others. Amen. We missed that. And as I expressed even last Sunday, and I listened on the news this week, and they were interviewing the chief physician, and I really appreciated it. I don't know if everybody caught it or not, but the chief physician from Forsyth and from Wake Forest and, and, and from Moses Cone were, were all in an interview. And the chief physician of Wake Forest was asked the specific question about churches during Christmas and church services during Christmas. And I loved his answer. We need our churches. Amen. We need our churches. And he went on to say that we miss our fellowship in churches. We miss our hugs. We miss our handshakes. We miss our preacher's visits. Amen. We miss things that we, we've had to set aside for a little while. But his message was, it's just on the horizon. We need our churches to be patient a little while longer. And soon enough, we'll get back to being able to hug one another again, shaking hands with one another again. We can do that, right, church? Get a Lord a hand, amen? I can be patient a little while longer. We're built and created that we need one another. We cannot do it by ourselves. I want to talk a little bit about the biblical significance and importance of unity. When we think about Christmas, we think about Christ. If I ask the question, why did Jesus come into this world? Why was it a necessity for him to step out of the glories of heaven? And to be born in a manger. And to dwell and to walk among us. Why was it of necessity for him to be born and to live and to die and to give his life on that old rugged cross? You would answer me this morning as Christians, as we preached last Wednesday night, to be able to save people from their sins. Amen? Jesus came that he might be able to save you and I from our sins. But I want to carry that a little step further. Because Jesus came, yes indeed, to be able to save us from our sins. But in order to accomplish saving us from our sins, he had to be able to accomplish something else. And that was that he could reconcile, reconcile, Sinners with holy God. Amen. That in His coming, that in His atonement, that in His life, that in His sacrifice, that He would have the ability, that He would have the precious gift to be able to take guilty sinners short of the glory of God, and reconcile us unto holy God, unto God the Father. 
Christ came for unity. Christ came to be able to reconcile a separated world unto a holy God. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus came as he prayed in John's gospel that he might be able to make us as sinners one with the Father. Now I want you to let that soak in. I'm going to give you your minds back now. You need them. I want you to let that truth soak in. That Jesus came to be able to reconcile you as a guilty sinner unto a holy God. Amen. And that He might make us one with the Father and the Son and one another. The Trinity. Jesus is not interested in the appearance of unity. Amen? You see, appearance is one thing. Just because we sit together in the same church building. Just because we drove up and parked in the same parking lot. Just because we sing together. Just because we pray together. Just because we worship together doesn't necessarily mean that we are in unity. It has the appearance of unity. And I'm glad you're here, by the way. Amen. It's, it's better to worship with you than without you. Amen. And so we're thankful that everybody's in the house of the Lord. And it is a sign of unity, if you will, an appearance of unity, but it's not the biblical definition of unity. God is not interested in blessing what you pretend to be. Mercy. He's only interested in blessing that which is true, that which is pure. Very quickly, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, Elia put them up on projector for us, but Jesus in the Beatitudes said, Blessed are the pure in heart. You can translate that word pure for true. True in heart. Not everybody you come in contact with is true in heart. They have an appearance. They say one thing. And they do another. That's not pure in heart. Amen. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, and I'm getting to something, stay with me. The apostle says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Boy, that's a healthy list, isn't it? 
Whew, it's a mouthful. He says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. God is interested in that which is true. God is interested in blessing that which is pure. God is interested in blessing that which is honest. Amen? And every heart has to answer to that honesty. Jesus asked the important question to those disciples whom the men say that I am. What's the news? What's, what's the report out there? What's the buzzword? And then he asked those disciples, but whom do you say that I am? Amen? You can put that same question on a personal note to yourself. Who am I? Who am I? Really? Who am I really? To those who know me, to those who care about me, to those who are watching my life, to those who are reading my story and my testimony, who am I? Am I somebody on Sunday morning and somebody else on Monday? Woo! Thought you said this was a Christmas message. You see, God's not interested in what you and me pretend to be, what we stage to be, but who we are. Who we are. You see, Jesus came indeed to unite us, amen? But this oneness, and I, I'm going to press this along, I'm going to put this on fast track, so stay with me, but, but oneness, think about oneness, oneness and, and taking people and putting them together and putting them under the same umbrella, putting them under the same building and to make them one, make them function as one. My friends, that's not an easy task to do. It sounds good. Every married couple can relate. Amen. Quit nudging him. Every married, you got just two people. Just two people. And they're trying to put together in their lives how to become one. Obviously, it's not easy with the divorce rate being what it's been. So I have the facts to back up what I'm saying. Oneness is not easy to achieve. It's difficult. Even when just two people are involved. They're married. They had the ceremony. They had the preacher. They got the certificate. They got their license. Amen. They have the rings. They have all the appearance of unity. Woo! But if you could hear what goes on behind them closed doors. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to let that go right there. Amen. Unity. You see, the problem is our differences. Our differences. You know, the Bible makes clear that our ways are not God's ways, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And more often than not, each other's ways are not the same. Each other's thoughts are not the same. The Bible, listen, talks about 
unity and oneness. And it's a difficult path. In fact, some could even say that it is an impossible path to totally achieve on our own. See, now I'm back to on our own. Amen? Because you've got two people. You know, we talk about opposites attract. Opposites attract. Amen? Let, let's think about that a moment. You and, your, you and your spouse. You know, the differences between you. And oftentimes that is true. Opposites attract. But those opposites create problems. The wife says, I wish he'd talk about it. The husband says, I wish she'd be quiet. The wife says, I don't know why he got to suppress his feelings and his emotions. The husband says, I just don't want to talk about it no more. You see, it's those differences that make the path to oneness difficult. Jesus was most different than anything they had ever seen. Amen? His teaching was different than anything they'd ever heard. His miracles were far different than anything they had ever seen. And they chose to despise Him and to hate Him and to reject Him and to crucify Him for it. Amen? Differences. Let me give you something to think about. If I showed up this morning to preach in a casual shirt, blue jeans, and tennis shoes. Now that's something different. Been preaching the same way for 30 plus years. Some of you would be okay with it. Some of you say, hey, preacher getting comfortable, I'm all right with it. Preacher getting modern, amen. I watch these tele television evangelists, I see how they are. Some of you would be perfectly fine with it. Some of you would be furious. You would. Some of you would be disappointed, even ashamed. Same guy, same gray hair, same brown eyes, same call to preach, same desire to preach, same love for God, just dressed different. When you have differences, i got to get this done. When you have differences, then you've got to decide who's right and who's wrong. Amen? He'll always be wrong in my eyes, preacher. He refuses to talk about it. I, you know. You see, oneness is hard to achieve because we're more interested in being right than being one. We're more determined to be right than to be one. I wish I had more time, but I want to put this on a heavenly scheme. Jesus saw unity and oneness so important 
that he prayed for it. That he prayed for it. When it comes to your relationship and your reconciliation unto God, was God more determined to be right or to be one? Are you with me? Because in each of our relationships with God, we're wrong. There's no question. We're the one that's in the wrong, and He was right, always right. Amen? His law was right. His law was perfect. His law was given. And we are the ones that transgressed against the law and sinned against God. Was God more interested in being right? No, you're guilty. Oh, you're guilty, all right. Or more concerned in being reconciled, in being one. Isn't that the beauty of Christmas? That Jesus came willing to step out of the glories of heaven to be born in this world to make possible for you and me what would not be possible any other way. And that's to be reconciled. Reconciled. Unto God the Father. That we be so reconciled, listen in closing, that we be so reconciled, not just put together, but so reconciled that we are one with the Father, one with the Son, and one with one another. That was the prayer of Jesus, that we be one together with Him. That means that in order for the devil to destroy me, he got to destroy Jesus. Because I'm one with him. In order for the devil to destroy you, he got to destroy first Jesus Christ. That ain't happening. Get along some praise. Hallelujah. That's how eternal saved we are. That we are one. As they come and get an invitational song together and we close this Christmas, this Christmas sermon, this Christmas message. While everyone stands all over the sanctuary today. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed for just a moment. What a tremendous work. What a tremendous work the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. What a tremendous work He came to accomplish that only He could accomplish. I want you to notice with me again in closing that prayer that He prayed and His request to the Father was that the Father keep. Zero in on that four-letter word, K E. E-P. That the Holy Father keep us. That's how secure we are.
It's God's work. It's God's miracle. It's God's grace that brings us together and creates a unity that only He could create. A oneness that only He could have made. And it's only His grace that keeps and holds us together. I'm not still around these many years because of my strength and my abilities and my resources. I'm here because the grace of God has kept me and will continue to keep me all the way to glory. All the way to glory. And continue to keep you all the way to glory. I want to ask you this Christmas. Do you have a real relationship? Not a pretend relationship. Not a staged relationship. Not a relationship that you hope others believe. But a real relationship with Jesus Christ. This Christmas, not last Christmas, not five Christmases ago, this Christmas. A real relationship with Jesus Christ that you can tell your family, that you can share with your family. The greatest gift that you can give to your family is to say, Hey, Daddy is a child of God. Mama is a child of God. Saved by the grace of God. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll open up the altar. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to come. No greater morning than this morning. No greater time than right now to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, all that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no rejection at the cross of Jesus. You come as they sing.